You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, Goat Flippers? I am your host, Lurk. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast, the number one hardcore and metal-related podcast on all of the internet. On this episode of the podcast, I am joined by Scott Ian Lewis, who is the frontman for the San Diego deathcore band Carnifex. Scott and the rest of the gang just released their eighth studio album, Graveside Confessions, last week. And currently, the group is on tour with the Black Dahlia Murder until about the beginning of October. But then after that, they have their own headlining tour with Enterprise Earth and Of Sulphur, whom you may remember. Or no, wait, we haven't even released it. No, we have released it. We already had Ricky Hoover on the podcast. You've already heard that episode. So there you go. I do so many of these episodes to backlog them that I don't know which ones we've released already and the ones we are scheduled to release. Well, I mean, I do. I have a schedule. But as I'm recording this, I'm not looking directly at it. So that's why I was confused. Anyway, I had a great conversation with Scott throughout the entire podcast. We talk about a lot of things, obviously Carnifex related, but we also talk about some things that aren't related to music in the music industry or his band. So you will definitely enjoy that. Whether this is your first time checking out the show or you're a return listener, if you enjoy the content we're doing here on The Van Flip, please take the time out of your day to go ahead and follow or like us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on. And if you have a couple extra seconds and you want to leave a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Don't forget to visit lambgoat.com for everything hardcore and metal related. Follow Lambgoat on social media. Give us a like on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Lambgoat. Head over to the Lambgoat YouTube page and you can find all of these podcasts in video format plus other Lambgoat books bonus content. While you're there, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the alert bell so you're always notified when new episodes or content is uploaded. And if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. That's L-U-R-K-C-I-T-Y. Oh yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh yeah, this is stuff. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is good? Welcome to this episode of the Van Flip Podcast. I am joined today with Scott Lewis, longtime member of the Deathcore Band, California Deathcore Band, I guess we could call it, Carnifex. Welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you probably have the same kind of weather I'm having uh, over here in Florida, although I do have thunderstorms almost daily. I, I know you probably don't in San Diego, but... No, nah, weather is actually perfect. And we were yeah, we were joking about it uh, when we got back because we got cooked on this tour we did. We, you know, that heat wave was rolling through. Yeah. And we were all the places where they're like, it's a record breaking high. That was where we were playing. So we got cooked and when we got back. We're like, oh, God, it's so much better here. So, yeah, it's like 74 with a nice ocean breeze. I've, I live in the sticks 
right next to a military base, but I'm also close to the ocean. Yeah. So uh, we get a real nice breeze. Yeah, San Diego seems to have like, you know, perfect weather year round. That's kind of like the allure. I would agree with that, to be honest with you. Like, I've been a lot of places. I spent a lot of time in other places. And if if you like temperate weather, if you're not one of those weirdos that says they want all four seasons, uh, then it's great. Because you only get, you'll get summer and spring. That's all you get here. I I like it that way. Same, similar. We have the similar. There uh, is no, we get like cold spells, you know, like we may get like a week or a couple of weeks that are like cold, but like it it is bacon. I went, uh, yeah, cold. (laughs) I went, uh, I went running running today and it was like almost 99 it felt like so oh. yeah it's crazy it was a yeah little much. Well, you know that's the cool thing too is like yeah we get a lot of warm days but you know what we don't get is a lot of really hot days like getting up over 100 that's actually really we might only have like a week or a week and a half of that through the whole year mm. so it's thankfully you know we bounce between i'd say we bounce between 70 and 90 and that's just fine with me yeah, that's that's almost perfect. And like, not that we're like meteorologists and weatherman or anything like that, but how is the humidity over there? Very low. You know, in fact, humidity is something that when we, we do get it, it's for a couple of days. And then we all talk about how horrible it is and how glad we're not. It's like, the, you know, we're so glad it's only like just a couple of days and then up oh, goes back, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of humidity here, unfortunately. So whenever it's hot, it's hot and balmy and sticky and you're just sweating immediately. <laughs> so. We, you know, we've done a lot of records with Jason Sukoff and his studio is there in Orlando, just mm-hmm. above Orlando, mm-hmm. uh, St. Mary. I think so. Um, it's, it's just like 10 minutes above Orlando. So yeah, we're pretty familiar with the Florida weather. We probably spent, you know, a good four or five months just at Jason's house over the years, you know, going, God, dude, why do you live here? Yeah. Plus the middle <laughs> get, a, of the, get a studio in Palm Springs, please. <laughs> yeah, and the middle of the state is a little more uh warmer just because it's landlocked. There's not a lot of like ocean breeze coming from uh you know, we have yeah. so much coastline here, whether it's west coast or east coast. Yeah, the middle of the state is a little landlocked and it gets a little hotter. But speaking of recording albums, let's just go ahead and dive into that because you guys uh obviously have been recording music over the pandemic and whatnot. Uh, you guys have released a couple songs. Uh, first, I think you le- released your corn cover of uh, Dead Children, all right? Dead Children Falling Everywhere. Yeah, Dead, dead, dead Bodies Everywhere. Dead Bodies yeah. Everywhere. That's what it is. <laughs> I like your title better. Uh, I'll go dead ahead. Children I'll Falling, yeah. Uh, no, but you guys did. You, you guys had a very um, interesting cover of a corn song. Obviously, it's like a deathcore version of it. So that, correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of kick-started your kind of like your singles that you had been releasing. Yeah, it, it had. And um, we basically, I'm trying to think, that song came out April 9th. So yeah, the record was already done and turned in. We had to turn the record in at the beginning of March. So yeah, the record had been done and turned in. And for us, you know, we took a completely different approach with how we wanted to roll the record out. And if you kind of look at, if you look at the previous uh, concept behind releasing records, and if you kind of know behind the week, behind the scenes sales, you sort of see that there's this Burst of sales for week one, right? You remember first week sales is the game. Right, right. Lamb Goat's going to record the first week. God, you better hope you chart it or it's you haven't, you know, so card effects. We'll let them know. Their first time not charting. You yeah, know, they'll let, we'll let them know. We'll let them know if you get on the chart or Dude, if you don't get on the chart. Take us out to the field <laughs> and shoot us. Uh, someone, please. And 
yeah, right. So that whole the whole idea behind an album previously was you front load the fuck out of it, right? You lie about all your road sales, you lie about all your pre sales, and then holy shit, we sold ten thousand records first week. Who knew? Five thousand vinyls. Wow, that's weird. <laughs> um, you didn't print five thousand vinyls. Only printed fifteen hundred, but we sold five thousand. So look at us. Uh, and you know, I think that's dead. Spotify killed that. Nielsen has killed that. They now don't let you do any bundling. There's no packaging allowed. You can't sell a record or CD with any other merchandise item whatsoever. They literally say you cannot incentivize people to buy records. Okay, records are dead. Let's move on. Uh, so Spotify is king now. And Spotify, of course, is a big tech company. They only see things in quarterly returns. And what do the shareholders think? And what's your monthly user engagement? Because all we have is a communications degree. And that's the only way we know how to market anything. Uh, so what happens is now the whole game is, is you got to play to Spotify. And that's, uh, if you look at what a record did, your, your, your booms at the beginning and then it trends down and you try to milk it for two years. So you hope you got 30,000 sales at the end of that. Spotify is the absolute opposite. If you tried that plan, Spotify would look at you as a dead band and they would go, well, you did 20,000 streams your first week, but shit. Here we are 10 weeks later and you did 200. I guess no one gives a fuck. Next. Uh, so you got you to do something different, right? Now it's all about monthly engagement. So from there, we said, well, the traditional rollout is garbage. We need to figure something else out. So we said, hey, let's put out a shitload of singles, not worry about telling people it's a record. Let's look at it into a little psychology. People love what they can't have, especially right now where all you got to do is fucking click it. Right. Uh, especially right now where music has, um, you know, no dollar value, it's a consumable. Um, so we said, well, look, let's just throw some breadcrumbs out. Let's not say shit and get everybody going, Hey, give us the information already. You assholes. Uh, we'll play some games with these people and it's working. You know, the Spotify went way up. Uh, people are realizing like you got to stream some shit now. And like, I don't even I haven't even had a conversation with the label about retail. I don't think Best Buy has a single copy. Maybe they do. I don't know. Probably not. Who cares? Like, where's no. it going to be? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's if all about selling, I don't even know if they're selling CDs in general. The one near me does not. So, I don't think anybody really. Maybe there's a Hastings or a Zia out there, like a, you know, an independent that's. And we have a little bit of a delay. or physical house sales obviously that isn't the case that's going to work so we just said look we got to drive everybody towards streaming and and also kind of play some games not give them everything all at once um but also let people know where to find us look if you want to find the band now the reality is it's apple music or spotify you know that's just how it's going to be and so it's a 15 song record we said hey let's roll out all these singles but then at the end of it still have like a whole record for people to enjoy and that's kind of addressing that sort of, you know, where in the cycle you're trying to get metrics. Then we say, well, let's get everybody over there, get some singles that they enjoy, and then sort of say, hey, thank you for coming over here. Thank you for checking us out. Tell your friends. By the way, here's 10 songs. There's a whole other record's worth of music to listen to. Uh, and we're shortening our album cycles. You know, we're working mm-hmm. on another record already because we know you can't wait three years anymore. Right. Like, what, what are your quarterly number is going to look like two and a half years in obviously they're going to be low people haven't got new content in a while so it's just 
everything's different now. And the pandemic and the shutdown and everyone being isolated and advanced having to live online, that was all compounded in this last year and a half. You know, yeah. So we just went with it. We didn't fight it. So just a heads up, you kind of got – we kind of had this- – a short delay when you were discussing some things uh, earlier on uh, in that little thought. So if you already, yeah. uh, if you already answered this question in that little time frame where you dropped out, then I apologize. <laughs> but uh, no so like that seems to be the new way of a lot of bands kind of doing things, whether it's, you know, staying relevant throughout the entire year or, you know, um, because again, like you said, Album sales aren't necessarily what they they were. Uh, however, there is a fringe movement of people, obviously, that do buy physical copies. Like I myself buy one. But when you were saying, like, I you know, businesses that even have CDs available, especially new CDs, I don't know where you would go get new CDs at. But I uh, I definitely go to like the little record shops that, and I like buy old CDs, or you know, I buy direct from the band, whether their website or whatnot. Um, I try not to buy on Amazon just for personal reasons. So Ooh, if the band has Yeah, it. no, Indie Merch has all. If you want to buy a CD, go on Indie Merch. They got yeah, it. Yeah. And oddly enough, man, we printed we printed like a thousand like or not printed, but we we took a thousand from the label. I don't know how many they printed in total, but we we said, "All right, we'll give us a thousand CDs." And believe it or not, we sold like over 500 CDs already. I was like, "What the hell?" Okay, I don't know why people want CDs, but they're there. Go grab. So is the is the album the album's not out yet or to have people September third. People... Okay. September third. Yeah. yeah, these are the pre orders. So with the release of Graveside Confessions that came out July twenty third, that was the title track to the record and it was also the song that we sort of broke our our other previous pattern of not saying anything and just saying, Here's music, go enjoy it. Uh we, we said, No, look, all these songs are actually on a record. The record you can pre order, get the vinyl, get a tape, get a CD, don't buy any of that shit, buy a tape, uh, buy a shirt, whatever you want. That's all up on indie. So it's kind of like a a la carte thing and we sort of you know, look we used to make a ton of money on pre-orders man that, those things were super bankable you know like the pre-order packages the reason those bundles were all in your face and every band had fucking 15 it's because they're money makers yeah you know and as bands go like if you're trying to sell a record you're not going to make money selling your actual cd you got to incentivize it with other shit and the bundles did great with that nielsen saying you're not allowed to do that anymore physical scans accounting for like this much of you know how much the record is consumed has changed all that changed all that and so it's kind of less it's kind of less pressure less urgency we're not Mm -hmm. browbeating people over the head to you gotta fucking buy this thing with (laughs) six shirts and a fucking koozie uh don't forget your flag and your my shorts asshole uh we kind of just said fuck all that look we're gonna put up new merch we think it's cool if you want to buy it all buy it all if you want to buy one thing buy one thing if you want to buy shit you want to just listen to it listen to it you know that's kind of the new reality. So how does it work for bands that still, excuse me, how does it work for bands that still do that incentivization, like with bundles? Do those album sales just not count toward those like SoundScan or Nielsen numbers? Well, yeah, by the letter of the law, they don't. Mm. No, I mean, you know, Nielsen sound scans are ripe for fraud. There's no back checking. Right. It's the yeah. honor system. Yeah. For so sure. now you, you, you put the honor system on the music biz you do the math. Yeah. <laughs> Music biz is the wild west, dude. Zero ethics, zero bar to entry. Yeah. You do whatever you fucking want. You got an email address. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. You've been around it so long too. I'm sure you have a lot of good stories from the early I got days. all the stories. Early brother. days to now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were also on victory. So I would, you know, how'd that, how'd that work out? It was hell. 
And so we were on Victory for seven years. We did three records with them. We sold over 90,000 albums for them and didn't get paid a cent. Interesting. That's not like uncommon. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, no, you hear a lot. No, you hear a like lot of. I'm reading out of a script. You know? Yeah, you hear a lot of negative stuff about Victory. So you always, you know, and again, like when bands are on Victory, I do have to ask. Some, you know, some say they had great experiences. Others, along the same lines as yours, you know, if they had great experiences. That that tells you exactly the kind of character and business they ran. Yeah, it could be. I don't know how you can have a great experience with those people. I'm being honest. But you, uh, from there, you got signed to Nuclear Blast, right? That was thanks to Gerardo, man. You know, for he's actually gotten promoted. He's like second in command of Nuclear Blast worldwide right now. Nice. But 2012, you know, we took that hiatus because we, you know, we're shit, dude. Victory Play was playing their games and we were playing ours. Was, you that, know, was like, that? I was going to ask about the hiatus. Was that part of it? Was it to get out of your deal or to kind of like you know? It was to it was to decrease our desirability. Interesting. Um, you know, we, we joked that until I feel nothing was the forgotten record, uh, because at that point, our relationship with them had really deteriorated. They didn't promote it. I didn't do any press for it. Our agent fired us uh, right before that album cycle started. We barely did any tours on it. We lost a member. Um, the anti death core sentiment was at a fever fucking pitch. Yeah, it was. You know, if <laughs> one more death core record comes out, there's gonna be a fucking civil war, you know? And uh, it was not a great time to be Carnifex. You know, we're the fucking <laughs> juggalos of Deathcore as it is. It's our label term. hated it's us. We had no fucking fans. Our agent fired us. Our guitar guitarist fucking went AWOL. It was like, you know what? Like, we just got to take a break. Let's fucking shelve this shit. Something's not working. Um, and also, we were trying to get out of the victory deal. Simple as that. Um, and so we got a badass lawyer the same lawyer that BT Bam had that got them out of their deal. Uh, and he didn't fuck around. He got us off that deal because, you know, the victory deals, the reality is, in my opinion, that shit's predatory. It's unethical. So if you put it under a microscope, fuck yeah, you're going to find holes in it. Yeah. It's not legitimate. You know, it's set up in a way to enrich one party at the expense and exploitation of another party, allegedly, my opinion. And, you know, so he's a badass. He got us out. When he got us out, Gerardo Martinez has been a fan of the band. He'd been a believer. A lot of people want to shit on Carnifex. We still sold a lot of fucking records. And, you know, we have a lot of time on the road. And that time on the road is valuable, man. You build relationships with fans. And our fan base is narrow but deep. You know what I mean? Like we don't appeal to the broadest group and there's a lot of haters out there, but there's a, there's a portion of people out there that are hella passionate about what we do and about our band. And those people keep us alive Uh, and not having passive fans, having very engaged fans. Sometimes they're more meaningful, man. Like you can be that band that gets the hookup on opening for all the big bands. And yeah, you don't have to sweat it out in the shitholes and don't you look cool because you get to go straight to a bus and tour with the heroes. Like that's the cool shit. But you also like, you know, you're existing because of the industry. I can say this without a doubt. Carnifex exists in spite of the industry. We've been so discouraged from being who we are and so discouraged from taking a shot at trying to be successful with, you know, as untalented and as fake as we are. uh, We're still here. We're still thriving. And we still have fans. And I think that speaks to kind of our tenacity and it kind of speaks to our original attitude. 
which is a pretty metal attitude, which is, you know, we don't care. You know, we've been in fights before. We've lost. It's not a big deal. We've got, we put a record out that no one bought. It's called Until I Feel Nothing. We put out records that got completely fucking trashed. Slow Death. Decibel gave it a two. The writer compared it to a trip to Taco Bell and didn't even talk about the music. (laughs) You know, let's talk about Lamgo, dude. I hope your van flips into a pile of AIDS-infested dicks. What, uh, what, what, now you know why we have the name, <laughs> the podcast name. Oh, dude, we were fucking hardened in the fire, man. It's like you can't, you know, there's no scab. It's just a callus. Yeah. And so not every band has that. We have it. I'm happy for it. I do think, um, you know, bands in general back in the day, like within, your, you know, where you're from in the timeline of, you know, music and deathcore and metalcore and stuff like that. Um, a lot of bands, especially that, I think Lamb Goat um, was like really key on on that. I think bands loved to go there to read things about them. And because Lamb Goat also had this kind of like, I don't want to call it elitist, but snarky elitist kind of, you know, vibe on whomever was writing the reviewer or the writer or whatever. And everyone was trying to get in a zing too. Right. You know, that right, was right. kind of the unspoken. It's like, I'm also trying to write a comment that's going to make people go, oh, fuck. Right, right. Because other know? people are coming there just for that. It's like its own little environment. And I think sure. people like bands like yourself or whatever, if you can laugh at those kinds of comments, obviously, like you said, you're hardened in the fire and stuff. But like, um, yeah, I mean, like if you can get used to that and like it's bands that are coming out now that are maybe that, you know, with obviously like uh, cult, the culture – in the PC culture and the woke culture and the cancel culture and all that stuff is different than it used to be. But you'll find a lot more bands getting quote unquote, butt hurt about something that maybe like an outlet says or whatever. But you know, like with decibel giving you a two, that's also because maybe the person that, you know, listened to the album, maybe they didn't even like death to begin with, or maybe they're more of a hardcore person, or maybe they listen to like hair metal, you know what I mean? And that, it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's reviews are so weird because it's all based on like what that one person is. is and dude, here's something you can't overlook. We are not cool. The industry does not think Carnifex is cool. The industry does not think Carnifex fans are cool. The industry does not think Deathcore is cool. We are the fucking juggalos of metal. Yeah. Right. Well, Deathcore is coming and up. Deathcore is coming up. I'll give it a little. It's getting a little. Okay. Nice yeah. I mean, now. 16 years after yeah. the fact, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, wow, you guys are fucking on top of it. You know what I mean? Uh, Trend setting you know, way before the, the, the way before. Yeah. And, you know, that it's the thing. I'm kind of stoked that, like, you know, Lorna can have a viral song and it's not viral because people are shitting on it. It's viral because people are having a, like an oh shit moment. It's cool that Slaughter can have viral songs. I kind of feel like, look, we were the front line. We took that. We took those shots and we carved a path so the people behind us can get accepted. Yeah. And it's cool that those guys can put out tracks and pop off and not get what we got because, you know, the reality is the four of us, dude, we're soulless kids from a broken home. All of us, all of us have some pretty deep traumas in our life. Um, and I think we're coming from a different place than a lot of bands. Yeah. And, you know, we we can survive that shit, man. We went out on tours and got in fucking fights. You know, we did the years where we went out and it was bands versus the fucking world. And 
you know, that stuff was for the moment. That stuff hardened us. It got us to where we're at today. I think it's the reason why we can survive in this time and why we have a fan base in this time. But I'm glad it's not like that anymore because I think some of these bands would just get chewed up and spit the fuck out. Yeah, and like you said, you were taking shots, but you're also taking bullets too. I mean, uh, you know, it. like you said, you're the juggalo of the metal community and whatnot. But, the, you know, listening... Yeah, hate it. Yeah, of course. But, but those guys are fucking millionaires though. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference there too. Like, no, like, I don't like any of that kind of music, but I respect them so much because, again... They got clowned on, no pun intended, obviously, but they got clowned on for so long. But that, but all, all I would see is like their numbers growing. And this is the me, right. me noticing this before the internet was a big thing, like before MySpace, before I would see people like just more juggalos in nature, and I'd be like, the hell, man, because I, a friend, like my good friend, his brother was super big juggalo guy, and he was like thirteen years old, and so he was all wrapped up in it, buying stuff off eBay and all this that the other, and I that's how I kind of found out about ICP and like the whole psychopathic writers, whatever hatchet man and all that. But then I started seeing that thing. Yeah. And I did like that album, but uh, other than that, (laughs) (laughs) other than that, I I wasn't, I was in middle school once, but other than that, I I would see the little hatchet man everywhere. And I would just go like, dude, those guys are no support from any kind of major at all. They don't necessarily get PR. They don't necessarily get the best looks. If it's, if they're in the media in general, and yet they're just like amassing this giant following. But to kind of like bring it back to you guys, you know, like you were saying earlier, the you wrote your road dogs and stuff like that. Like a lot of bands don't understand how like I think you do have to put in those relentless hours and months and just day, like almost a full year of touring to really even get a solid base. Cause like like you said a lot of music is taken in streams and everything is different nowadays. But if you can get in front of somebody, no matter if it's like every couple months or every couple you know weeks, it's so much better than, you know, you touring once or twice a year. And then that's all you do is, you know, a couple like 20 week tour here and then like, you know, a little 16 week tour at the end of the year or something like that. I mean, 16 weeks is four months. So that's actually I mean, yeah, I, was, I should tour, I should but, uh, I should say like three three weeks or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it's actually more than a year, man. It's like, it's so cumulative because think about it. You go to it. Yeah. Maybe you do a three, four five week tour, but so you hit, think about that fan, right? That fan's just in that city. They don't know you played 20 shows before. They don't know you've played 20 shows after. They don't know you did 10 tours before. Maybe tonight's just the first time they came to see you. Maybe right. they came to see the headliner. Maybe they had a friend there who fucking knows. Uh, that's just one shot. And, you know, so it's like, it takes a long time. And maybe the next time you come to town, they miss it. They don't hear about it. They have a conflict. You're with bands they don't care about. And it's the time after that that they see you. And then you start to get them. So it takes a long fucking time, man. And we've been touring relentlessly since November of 2006. That's when I quit my job. It's when we went on the road. And, um, you know, we didn't stop until the pandemic. We took a little break on a hiatus, but even the hiatus break was shorter than the pandemic break. We only were off the road for like 12 months. Right. If that, and that, yeah. that was like unexpected. We were like getting out of a deal. We had lawyers. That was shorter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's nuts. Um, so like how did you guys – like what What do you think caused like the hatred for Deathcore? Because you guys are – you know, you guys came out 2005, 2006 timeline or time. And I, I seriously remember – 
like deathcore just getting shit on, no matter even if it was good or not. But I feel like the crab core scene and maybe like the you know the hot topic hair well, maybe that was did built something. by association. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I think that kind of like maybe infested into the deathcore, and people maybe thought deathcore was was that. But what do you think? Like, where did it come from? Where did the hatred come from? Uh, dude, people fear what they don't know. They feared what's different. I think it was different. And it was also, think about, you know, okay, so I remember this happening and I remember other bands, you know, like older bands hated MySpace bands. Yeah. They thought it was cheating. Like, they, you know, they thought you finding a fan base on the internet somehow wasn't fair or something. You know what I mean? I, I can't put my finger on it exactly. They just didn't like it because... Maybe they've been a band for 10 years, 15 years, and they're kicking ass. And maybe all of a sudden they're like, what's this fucking MySpace band is selling how many tickets? What show is sold out? Man, fuck that. You know, uh, it's really easy to do because, you know, you see it with YouTubers now, right? Real, you know, bands, YouTubers, ah, fuck them. They're not (laughs) real bands. They're sitting in their room. They don't have any fucking fans. Put them on stage. They'll fucking choke. Fuck them. Um, they don't even have a full band. You know, go play your shit, you studio hack. You can't, right? Mm-hmm. That's the mindset kind of towards YouTubers. And I don't know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know any YouTubers. But um, that could be some of the psychology behind it. You know, MySpace is a new thing. Maybe that band previous didn't have it quite as figured out. You know, maybe their fucking major label deal that was so sick a year ago now fucking sucks. You got to do nine records. Have fun with that. <laughs> oh, by the way, the studio is going to listen to everything. They're going to develop everything. They're going to tell you who to track with. And you're never going to make any money because now you that 100 G's they gave you, well, you just got to owe it now. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you owe it on your royalties, not on your gross. You know, cross collateralization of royalties. Remember that statement. That's what fucked us in the victory deal. You know, cross collateralization means. Any money they spin, they can apply it against your royalties, no matter what it is. Wow, that means you're that means you're never going to break even, yeah. which means you always owe them. Indentured servant, kind of, yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's where that predatory contract comes from. So it's like, you know, I think there was probably some of that, and yeah, we had good luck on MySpace, man. We, we I remember when a lot of my face we got a thousand plays a day, and we're fucking nobodies, not on a label booking tour you know me and jesse Katib from the mirror he books the east coast i book the west coast let's go on tour holy shit there's 400 kids here every single night we're selling a thousand dollars in merch every single night we're not on a label we don't have a manager we don't have an agent what's happening yeah <laughs> i can see how other bands go man fuck those guys yeah. you know uh but hey you know we paid our dues we ate our shit uh people people told us they hated myspace bands they hated deathcore they hated us they hated victory Hey, you know, you're so fat, you're so ugly, you're so whatever. Um, it's all good. Here we are. Yeah, you know? that's like every every lame comment on the internet. You're fat, you're ugly. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, people went after us personally all the time. Yeah, for sure. I, you know. It's all whatever. just so they can get a rise out of you. I'm sure you've known that with, the, you know, having, having done you know, this game for so long at this point. It's just an eye roller at this point, man. <laughs> it's like we have so many, so much goodwill out there. And so many fans, dude, this last tour that we did, there's straight pit bosses, big dudes. You know, I saw them just fucking crushing people in the pit all fucking night. And afterwards, they're up at the table 
their fucking hands shaking and they, their eyes are welling up talking about, man, I miss shows so much. Right. You're my first fucking show back. Oh God, I need it so fucking bad, bro. I gotta give you, Oh fuck, man. I'll take a large <laughs> everything. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. Okay. Like there's real fucking people out here. There's real connections out here. And maybe it sounds like that cliche line, but it's dude, I mean, I don't care. Yeah. You shit on us all we want. I mean, I can talk about how, I basically just made a thousand dollars a day on the road, you know? So it's like, yeah, cool, man. You do your thing. You tell us how bad we suck. That's all good. There's a great quote from Wayne's world. We did not write songs. Everybody likes, you know, Led Zeppelin left that to the Bee Gees. It's because look, <laughs> we're artists. We write from our heart. Right. My lyrics are personal to me. You're, you Maybe they're fucking middle school lyrics to you. That's cool. They don't matter to you. Other people have come up to me in tears. I've had people come up to me and say, dude, I had the gun to my head and I stopped because of your music. And I need to tell you that. Wow. Yeah, I just don't care about the haters anymore. Yeah, those are deep. Those are deep comments. Um, They're deep, dude. They're deep. And I, I have to care about those because otherwise, what, why am I here? You know? Yeah. And, you know, those, those are something, those are things that you set out. You don't even realize you have that effect on people when you're, when you're starting out. So yeah. it's cool to see. I didn't, that. I didn't know that, you know, yeah, so, full, full, yeah. full circle. Um, speaking of like the pandemic and whatnot, I know you guys had to cancel um, your a headlining tour prior and it kind of put you in like a little bit of a hole. Um, I think you like lost potential, either you went in debt or you lost potential monies for the year or whatever. I know it was uh, both. You know, yeah. Six figure sum of, and I don't want to blow you. Blow your income I'll, get, I'll give you the out. scoop. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go I ahead. I don't care. I'll talk about it. Yeah. I mean, dude, we had over $100,000 in guarantees. Confirmed. Confirmed. Um, we had a lot of shows that were well on their way to being sold out. You know, that was a package that we really fought for, the Meta X Tour, us and Three Teeth together. It's such a different tour. Me and Lex are friends, the vocalists and Three Teeth. Mm-hmm. And we, we appreciate each other's music, appreciate each other's album. We have mutual friends. Um, you know, they're just from up the road in LA, LA is like a second home to us. So, and we said, dude, let's go on tour. Let's make this happen. They like metal shit. They want to go out with some heavy bands. We like industrial goth shit. We want to go out with industrial goth band. We both put out records with similar themes. Let's fucking go for it. And the agents didn't like it. We don't have a manager. They got a manager, but you know, it took a minute to get the manager on board. We finally got it on board. We took it to promoters. Promoters fucking loved it, you know? And uh, then it, the tickets started selling like crazy. Dude, we had over 700 VIP tickets already sold. Yeah. Uh, you, you heard me talk about how profitable pre-orders are. Yeah. F- fucking VIPs. You know why everybody does them? They're pure profit. You're just trading your time for money. Yeah. And people love it. People fucking love it. They buy them in droves. So we have all that. Then you have the expectation for how much merch you're going to sell. You know, you can do some simple math in a couple grand a night. 33 shows, big dog guarantees. We got all these fucking VIP tickets sold. We're going to fucking make a quarter of a million dollars on this bitch. No joke. Mm -hmm. We fucking ran the numbers and those aren't hype numbers. That's I'm going to run a budget and we're going to figure this thing out. Cause yeah, we got overhead. Yeah, we got bills, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, that that tour was, was, you know, wasn't going to net a quarter, but it was going to gross a quarter. Um, and then went away and I got, $40,000 $40,000 worth of printed merch ready to go on the bus. The bus was leaving from Texas. It was already, it had just crossed the Arizona California border, was on its way to us. 
Uh, we were eight hours away from bus call, 10 hours away from bus call. Uh, I'm talking to the bus driver. Where are you at? Okay, cool. Sounds good. We'll be ready. I got my sound engineer from out of state at the house. We got our, you know, LD, we got merch, we got all the band guys. Um, we got, you know, we paid the first week on the bus. We paid the deposit on the bus, $8,300. We already got into this bus. I got, you know, hundreds in, I got $7,600 in lighting production that's rented. That's, that's sitting here. Not to mention a fucking $1,100 freight bill. You know, we just, <laughs> three days before I just went down to San Diego to this freight center and we picked a fucking half a dozen cases worth of lighting. Like, we're in this. Let's fucking go. This is going to be a big tour. We need to show, we need to show everybody where they're going to get their money's worth. What's that? Canceled. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, hell of a bummer. That's what sure. happened. Yeah. That, yeah. I, so yeah, right, right, right. We were, like we we were going to make a quarter to in, in, in the whole, like almost 70 grand. Mm. Is there any kind of yeah. like insurance kind of situation for things? I mean, obviously the pandemic is probably, um, it probably wouldn't have been covered by whatever, whatever for insurance reasons. But yeah, we tried to do get one like of those that? PPP small business loans, yeah. and we couldn't. No, interesting. Is it, no. So there's no, there's no like insurance to guarantee like any money spent or loss of wages. Well, for, for any of that, or you could carry insurance. You could carry liability on uh, on dam on damages. You know, financial mm. damages on cancellations, acts of gods, etc. We we personally did not have insurance at that time. We've had insurance in the past, general liability insurance. When we did Warp Tour, they made us carry an insurance policy. They make every artist carry an insurance policy. When we did Summer Slaughter 2019, we had an insurance policy because we were the headliner. And, you know, if something happens, I don't know. They're going to probably go, eh, who's the guy at the top? Sue them. Um, so we had insurance on Summer Slaughter. Uh, but we did. We're not carrying insurance at the time, and I, and even the insurance policies that we had, I don't know that they covered cancellations. Yeah, that's what I, was I know some bigger acts have like that sort of cancellation coverage, but we, we didn't. So, no, that's it was bummer. SOL. It's kind of uh, it's kind of crazy to think that you know any band, not just your band, but any band, can kind of financially come back from something like that. You know, and I guess that says a little bit about your specific band, you know, that you guys can and that you're still not only that not only have you been around for 16 plus years, but, you know, you actually managed to stick out one of the worst times of all, you know, um, for everyone in the last 20 years. So that, you know, that's a little yeah. bit of a testament to, I guess, you know, the the path you've paved in that in your game. So, you know, you have that. Well, you know, you. we. We're dedicated to what we do. We take it seriously. And look, it's we don't have a fucking manager. The only people we have working for us is, is uh, someone that helps us out with our social media. Um, that's it. And by helps us out, I mean we tell them what to post and they do it. So it's like it's still coming from us essentially. Mm -hmm. And all of us in the band all have access and still jump on and answer. We talk to fans, look at DMs, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, we canned our manager back at the end of 17, beginning of 18, and we've never felt better. You know, managers in this biz are fucking D-level hacks anyway. Yeah. All they're doing is forwarding you your your email, your agent's email. That's mm. it. They're just a, they're just forwarding service, essentially. Um, but what that gave us was, look, we're hands-on with our merch. I, all these artists I work with, God Machine, Mark Riddick, uh, Alexander up in Canada, all these guys. We, we know these guys. We talked to these guys. We've known them for years. Um it's a little bit different. You know, they put us at the front of the line. We talk to them directly. We fucking shoot them over ideas, random screen caps. Holy shit, dude. Can we do a shirt like this? Fuck yeah, dude. Let me whip it up. 
like it, it's a it's we have a different relationship than I think a lot of other bands do because maybe whether it be victory, maybe whether it be our juggalo status, you name it, the, the biz didn't want anything to do with us. And so in that, we just had to figure it out on our own. And I think that's kind of our secret weapon in this weird way. It's like, we just had to learn it because no one gave a fuck. And now that we know it, it's like, oh, we don't have to hire anybody. Say, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like our, our tours are very lucrative for us. There's very few hands in this, in this pie, yeah, you know, and us as members, we get paid equally. We all get 25%, you know? So it's like, it, we're kind of in this place where it's like, look, we don't need to take over the world to be sustainable. We have, it's that narrow, but deep fan base. Our fans care about us. We take pride in our merch. We take pride in our records. We tour our asses off. Uh, and that we see that those benefits come back to us, you know? Is that, is, is your tour, like your tour ethic, is that something that you'll always want to have? Like the, Absolutely, you, even when yeah. you're like, let's say, let's say you guys manage another 20 years or so. Right. So you've been doing it for 40 years or 40 ish years. Do you still want to be on the road? I know, right? Do you still want to be on the road like that, like road dog status, like just constantly on the road? Um, I mean, I don't know about the the volume of dates each year. Our show is super physical, mm-hmm. and yeah, at some point, I probably won't be able to match that physicality that the show requires, or at least that the level that it's at now. But um, I mean, yes, I do want to tour. I mean, I have other aspirations as a human being. I don't just want to be a one trick pony of like, man, that guy's fucking great on stage, useless everywhere else in life. Uh, but boy, can he sell a $15 ticket? Um, I don't, that's not my life story, you know, and I've tried to work on some other shit as well to, to sort of expand what I do. But absolutely. One thing about our shows is I always want that intensity. I always want that moment where maybe you're not there to see us. Maybe you fucking hate our music. Maybe we're, we're just a kind of a background band to you. Like, oh, they're right. Mm-hmm. Not really my taste. Not really the worst band. They do what they do okay. But uh, but maybe you're at a show. Maybe you see a video. I don't know. And at some point you look on the stage and you're like, I don't think these guys are pretending. I think they're fucking living this shit right now. And, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, wow, they're going for it. Yeah, That's what I'm after. Uh, I want them to think for just a moment. Huh. Maybe these guys are fucking crazy. Maybe they do believe all this shit. <laughs> oh, well. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, that's what I want, man. Like, you've seen the movie Mandy or, or seen, like, the movie Joker. And, right. Like, you're like, yeah, that's Nick Cage. That's Joaquin. But if you kind of look in your eyes and you watch the movie in some places, you're like, I think dude's actually there. Right. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, Nick Cage on I'm those after. movies. Yeah. That's what I'm after. I kind of want that moment where people are like, is that guy okay? <laughs> You know, and the answer is no, I'm not. And the whole point of the performance is to give you that authenticity in that moment where you go, man, okay, go bad for that guy. Yeah. You know, that's where I'm after. That's cool. I want to bring up one thing before we get into uh, kind of something you just touched on, like your other, like what you want to focus on outside of uh, Carnifex. But uh, I want to talk about George because you, um, I haven't seen anything. And I know you guys just did a tour recently up to Rockfest and you guys, have another uh, fairly long tour already kind of planned for uh, August, September yeah, time. Right? Yeah, yeah, with the Black Dahlia. Uh, uh, kind of planned. That shit's booked and selling out. We got yeah, like yeah, six yeah. sellouts already. Yeah. It's on track. We're on track to get there. But um, I know Jordan, your guitar player, your lead guitar player, kind of left the band prior to the pandemic and whatnot. Um, have you guys done anything as far as like, replacing him or is it just for live shows and then how did that even how did him leaving you know 
affect the recording process for the current you know singles and album that you'll have out this year? Well, he left the band in November of 2019. Mm-hmm. So it was prior to, you know, the pandemic reality and, and kind of all the questions that that brought on. So when he actually called, you know, and it was a, it was a surprise to me. I, I wasn't expecting with it. And the reality is, is no drama in the answer. It's very simple. He left the band to pursue his own business. You know, he's he's a small business owner now on his own. He's he's an amazing mechanic. He's an amazing fabricator. Um, a lot of the stage protection that we had was stuff that he fabricated. He's really a fantastic welder. Um, and that's, that's his passion along with guitar. And I think that speaks to the duality of people. It speaks to my own duality. I'm not a one trick pony. He's not a one trick pony. All of us have, have more to offer than, than just this one thing. And I like to believe that like the success of the band as a small business was his, like it helped give him that motivation in a way. Um, uh, you know, we've been running this band for 16 years. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been touring since November 16. So I've had to live off this band um, all the way up through to when I got a house in January of 20, right before all this shit popped up. Like, so I've seen what you can get from cumulative effort. I've seen what you can get when you say, look, this is my authentic self. I'm going to put it out there to my best ability and find the people that appreciate it and run with it. I've seen what that can give you. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of power in that. And I talk about it constantly. I'm always encouraging everybody I know, dude, now is the time. There's a lot of chaos. You need to thrive in that chaos. Avoid the nine to five. Mm-hmm. Find your thing and make it something. You can do it. And I tell that to our like guy. I tell that to our people merge. I tell that to fucking everybody. All the other dudes in the band. I'm always telling you, get another business figured out, man. Right. Rock this shit. And I was always in Jordan's ear about his boat stuff and everything. And, you know, he eventually, yeah, hell yeah, he went on to pursue that. And he's doing really well at it. And there's no drama behind it. There's nothing excitement, other exciting than there's talented people in this band and they have a lot to offer. And so he went to pursue something else that he's really gifted at. Cool. And um, so who's writing on the record? Is he still part of the record, just not a part of the live show and slash touring? Or No, no. He left the band outright November 19th. You know, Sean is the main writer in the band. He has been since 2005. He's a phenomenal guitarist. I know he's the drummer in the band, but he's a fucking great guitarist. He's got an ear for arrangement. He's got an ear for music, melody. I mean, he's like a secret producer, to be honest with you. You know, he's the secret weapon. And, you know, you can look all through the catalog. Slit Resavior, Light of My Face. Hell Chose Me, uh, Until I Feel Nothing, uh, fucking Incolus with Philip and Faith, Die Without Hope, Drown Me in Blood. Those are all songs, Sean's songs. Every single one of them. Those are his songs. So Jordan leaving the band, his forte, he was, a, he was a soloist. You know, that was his, that was the one thing that he had that none of us in the band had. And that was a, a big reason why we, he, we chose him in the first place because we wanted to add another level of technicality and another layer on the cake, you know. And, yeah, we did some records with some really fucking technical souls that put the musical proudness up at 10. He, you know, he did have music lessons. He was properly trained. All of us in the band are not. We're self-taught hacks going on heart. And uh, so when he left, yeah, it was a surprise. Yeah, on the new record, the technicality of the solos is not what it was on World War X. That's okay. Um, we brought it up in other places. You know, Sean's an amazing fucking riff rider. Uh, Corey is a hell of a fucking riffer. Uh, and then, you know, I got, I got something to offer in the vocal department. And so 
just like on Dead in My Arms, just like on Hell Chose Me, just like on Until I Feel Nothing, on Die Without Hope. Uh, yeah, me and me and Sean are the main writers on those albums, and we do all the arranging. I probably arrange those dudes to death because after they finish the song, I come in and go, great, this needs to go here, that needs to go here, put a space for me to scream, fuck you there. What about this at the beginning? And then me and Mick get, you know, me, Mick, and Sean, we decide what we're going to do with the programming and add that other layer of atmosphere. So, yeah, he brought a lot to the table in the soloing department. Um, but as far as us being capable riff writers, you tell me. Are mm-hmm. uh, the songs you've heard lacking? Probably not. No, not, uh, not to me, at least. Yeah, and it's because our, you know, our main dude is still our main dude. That's Sean. He's, That's he's cool. always written, the, the been the backbone of our sound, and it, it still is. So it's and of- credit to Corey. Corey stepped way up, and those solos that are on Gra- Graveside, those are his solos. And he, you know, he was a fucking rhythm guitarist. He was a ripper. You know, Fear Factory, um, those guys with that fucking machine gun right hand, you know, <laughs> Meshuggah. That's his jam. That's the world he comes from. So him stepping out of his comfort zone and adding that level of technicality, um, yeah, it's not at Jordan's level. I could admit that. But that's also not, we weren't trying for that either. You know, we yeah. took a, a different approach, different sound. We put different uh, emotions and, and feels to the front. Um, so yeah, it's a different look and look, the same four guys that have been in the band since Oh seven, you know, me and Sean started the band. Corey joined it uh, right before we went on tour in, uh, October of 2006. And then Fred joined in 2007. Fred's the newest member. He joined in 2007. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know what you're getting. Nothing changed. Don't worry. It's like you're getting a Sunday. The only difference is, you know, Hey, there's not sprinkles on it. There's nuts this time. Mm. It's still a Sunday. And it's you're you're going to continue as a four piece. There's no uh, plans yeah. to do a five piece again or anything, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no real reason. Right, right. I, I guess there's those. some argument to be made that you know it sounds better live. But the reality is, the other guitar you're hearing live, that's just Corey. We just tracked Corey, and you know what? That's stage right now. That's him playing it. We wrote it. You know, I don't give a fuck about the technicality at this point. <laughs> Interesting. So what are some other things outside outside of Carnifex, Carnifex that attract you to them? Like what, like you don't want to be a one-trick pony. So what are some other things that you know you dabble in? Well, I mean, I really love writing. I really love narrative storytelling. Um, you know, I did a comic book, Death Dreamer. It's a 57-page graphic novel. It's part of a longer series. I haven't been able to continue it because, surprise, <laughs> uh, pandemic took away my income. Uh, and it's an expensive book to make. Uh, so I put that out. Originally I had written, uh, death dreamer as a television series called graves. And I tried to get that made. I, you know, I, I really tried to break into Hollywood for a long time. I really lessened it to a long degree. When I bought a house in January, I bought one down here in San Diego. And that was kind of like, all right, I don't know. If I'm going to become a professional screenwriter. That's okay. That's fine. It's a lot like being a professional musician. You eat so much shit at the beginning and you yeah. have to give up so much or such a high opportunity cost to get the ball rolling that, yeah, at some point there's a good chance if you can get through that war of attrition, you'll sell a script for seven figures and fuck, that's a great, that's a great day. But I don't know if I'm going to get there. And I sort of said, you know what? I can't fuck around trying to find this shot caller that can give me the green light on my fucking stories. You know, I talked to actors, I talked to directors, we talked to producers. We did the fucking water bottle tour up in LA trying to get this thing made for a long time. Mm-hmm. I talked to some cool people. I, I had a meeting with an actor that won a fucking Emmy. And we were talking about casting for the lead and let's get him attached. Let's try to package this thing. 
and we just couldn't get it done because it all comes down to money at the end of the day. You know, and they go to tell you, at the end, hey, this pilot's going to cost $2 million to shoot. You're like, uh, okay, who says yes? <laughs> Nobody? But So I, okay, well, how else can I get the story out? And so I decided to do a graphic novel. It only cost me 30000 Still got it out. Thankfully, I was able to make a bunch of money back on it because it, it did sell well. And, you know, for being an independent release, it, it did okay. I made my money back. And um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to work on a book now. Um, even... Yeah, because I got so much fucking debt coming out of the pandemic, dude. I got my ass thoroughly kicked. I mean, I went into forbearance on my mortgage. You fucking name it. I'm eating it. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm like, all right, I got to kind of streamline things. Like, yeah, I want to do another book right away. But, you know, another book's 30 Gs, and I don't have that. And I don't want to go to fans and ask for that. I just don't want to do that. I'm just, all right, I'm going to do the record. I'm, I'm going to try to write this book. It's just a lot of words. It doesn't take much money. It's just my time and effort. And hey, you know, maybe that restaurant, or that restaurant, what am I fucking talking about? <laughs> I was thinking about a meeting. I was flashing back to a fucking meeting. That's weird. Maybe we have, uh, you know, a situation where that book goes around town and gets us a few meetings. And that, you know, from there, we can get a chance to tell that story on another medium. But for now, yeah, I'll write the book. It's called Blood and Bones. It's a, it's a story I've been working on for a long time. Um, and I was, I wanted to do it as a movie, but fucking A, man, I just, I don't want to wait for a yes. Mm. I just, I, I get that maybe it can be done and maybe I could fight through the system. And yeah, I have friends that work in Hollywood and, and they really care about me and they'll try to make an effort. But, you know, I just want to write this book. It's going to get an unadulterated version of the story because here's another thing I found. Even in doing that adaption for the graphic novel, I'm editing because of cost. Mm. Man, 93 pages is how much? 57 <laughs> pages is how much? Okay. Wow. I got to shorten this fucking story, you know? Or it's like even when, you know, and I got lucky enough to get a, you know, to while I was trying to write my own spec scripts, I got to work with, you know, some low-level producers, low-level directors. Not, not in a negative way, but they're new guys. They're trying to get their foot in the door, working with other new guys. Okay, who can we get to write a script? Yeah, I wrote a couple scripts for uh, some you know, actors and directors that were trying to get somewhere. And that where's what it comes down to. You write a great script, you turn it in. It's, you know, it's, you know, they got the story, right? And you're just the writer. So you try to hit all their points, but add the cool shit in, make their bullshit narrative make sense as a storyteller. You turn it in and this is fucking good. And they go, yeah, you know, that scene where the, (laughs) you guys, you got the bad guys in uh, an automated Tesla and he's hanging out the sunroof with the machine gun and he's shooting back at your dudes in the Monte Carlo. Holy fuck, I love that scene. I have not seen a scene like that where you got this fucking automated Tesla, 100 mile an hour cruise control, slicing and dicing traffic. No one's even fucking driving. Homeboy's waving right, machine yeah. gun. You got a 240 out the window. Like, that sounds like a fun scene. That scene's going to cost like a, that scene's going to cost like a million dollars. You need to cut it. That's too much. Yeah. Okay. That's a bummer. That is a bummer. Uh, so, what do we do? How about a foot chase? <laughs> it's uh, not as exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'll write you a foot chase. I'm going to tell you, it's not as good right now. I can tell you yeah. that. Uh, but sure, I'll do whatever you want. You do that enough times, and then you turn that script in, you're like, this is a pretty vanilla story, yeah. man. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe our $300,000 budget isn't enough to shoot an action movie about a fucking heist, you know? Yeah. Maybe we need to rethink this fucker, or maybe you just need a bigger budget. I don't know. But I found myself in those situations where it's like, kind of no matter what you write, kind of just matters who's writing a check. And so 
to get away from that, I'm like, well, fuck, man. Maybe the book's the best medium. I get a book is fucking boring. It's so many goddamn words. Who cares? Yeah, but you know what? Uh, the book does well, they'll make it into it a movie. They'll make it into a movie if it does well, you know? So how many movies right. are based off of books? I think all of them. So it doesn't really necessarily matter. A lot. Yeah. A lot, um, yeah. What kind of what, – what, without giving too much away of your story or whatnot, it, what kind of you know, book is it? Science fiction, fiction, horror or you – know? Look, I'm a this meets that guy. Um, that's how Carnifex came to be. I really like Bleeding Through and I really like Cannibal Corpse. What's that sound like? Carnifex. Um, and I and – I, <laughs> It sounds like Carnifex. Yeah. Pretty fucking obvious, right? Yeah. You're like, I could ask you that question now, and even without talking to me, you'll be like, that's probably Carnifex. Yeah. yeah. Bleeding through cannibal. Yeah, I get it. Uh, you know, bleeding through all these kind of had this like blackened, like goth kid, of kid edge, yeah, yeah. but still the breakdown and cannibal crazy shit. Yeah. Uh, and so my this meets that on Blood and Bones is, uh, you know, it's vampires meets a war movie. Cool. Uh, and it's kind of like what happens after. That's, you know, there's this thing in screenwriting where they tell you, get in early, get out late. And I kind of took that to the nth degree. And I'm like, well, what if I don't tell the story of what would be actually happening? What if I just tell about the fallout of that story and then the culmination? You know, and I Marvel does that sometimes. You know, they right. sort of pick up after something fucking insane. And it's like you see all the insane shit. So you see the action but then you also kind of go like, yeah, what happens after all that shit? That's kind of weird. Yeah, but they, they'll so release a movie later, just, you know? They'll release a movie later that explains that, and that's, a, that's an extra bonus cash grab, you know? If it does well, then you can tell the actual prequel story, you know? There you go. And that's kind of what I did. It's like, I'm going to pick up with my group of characters that when I'm meeting them, they just went through another story in my head that I already know. This, their journey... And their arc of being changed by what they're going through isn't going to start with fade in on page one. Dude, these people just ate a bunch of shit. And they all had a fucking movie already. I saw it in my head. I'm going to write another movie. I'm going to write a movie where these two characters meet. And with all their fucked up bullshit, everything that they're going through, they're going to collide. And now that's the fucking movie. And I, how I came to that was I, you know, I have, I love fucking war movies, man. I, World War X is, is, you know, me embracing my love for fucking war movies. And, um, so I was like, you know what? And I have a lot of friends of guys that served and kind of interesting this time where we've been on the road since 2006 and we started this band in 2005. So a lot of people that are our exact age, their life took a different path. You know, they got deployed in 2005. Right. And shit 2019 man i just got out dude i'm out now yeah and you're like wow it's like we kind of we kind of live some there's some parallels full of us like sort of lived on the fringe of society for the last 15 years and have a very different fucking worldview than the people back home um and you know you know you can go down that rabbit hole but uh thankfully uh you know i did a script where one of the characters was was like a you know a vet dealing with ptsd a comic character that you see in the, the script was called ghost of war um, not the movie that's out now. We wrote this script like four or five years ago and just the same title. It happened to be a movie that come out come, called Ghost of War. Um, and so I got a chance to interview some people that had become friends of mine through the band. Guys that had, man, they fucking gave up a lot to do what they did. You know, guys that were special operators for mm-hmm. a long time. And, you know, it's like, okay, I want to put that authenticity into these characters. I'm a big believer in artistic intent and the value of coming from a real place, not a contrived place. 
And when that meets the right person, you can really get some magic in your storytelling, or your songs or your movie, you name it. And so I wanted to take a character like that, a complex gray character. This isn't some fucking thug, you know, bro, guy, you know, alpha dude beating his chest that you can expect that kind of came out of a war situation. You know, this is a thinker. This is someone who's been to the edge of the void. They've seen absolutes. They've seen the best of humanity and they've seen the fucking worst. Uh, but you know what? They also learned a lot along the way and they realized, you know, there's a strong power in brotherhood, sisterhood, friendship, you fucking name it. Uh, that's, that's one of the characters. And this is what he's done after he's come out. And then this is how he's taken all that into his, into this experience. And then in the other character, I have a very close friend of mine who spent their life in, um, you know, the foster care system, the foster child program. (laughs) You know, you're talking about someone who lived in 11 different states through their childhood. It's crazy. Never stayed at a house longer than six months. Oh, sorry. I got a notification. It'll happen. Okay. Um, you know, this is a very fucking real person, a very close friend of mine that essentially lived through hell. Um, every bad thing that you could think of that happened to a child, it fucking happened to them. Real shit. They came out on the other side of it. And they're one of the best fucking people I know. So honest, so sincere, so much character. But they got those stories and they got that trauma. And I wanted to say, you know, what happens when we put these two characters together? They've seen different things. They've seen different absolutes. They faced death in different ways. What if you put these characters on a journey together, put them in a road movie, put them in a fucked up situation, but let them find that friendship, let them find that heart. And you know, one thing I do love about dark situations, this is always humor, right? You have to fucking crack a joke. Otherwise you're going to crack your skull and just say, (laughs) I got to get the fuck out. And that's one thing I love. Like there's a series that I really love the first season of true detective, um, super fucking dark, but you know what? The jokes are good. And, the jokes and are Harrelson, good. they're fucking comedians. <laughs> yeah. They cast two comedians in the in the lead. I do like dark humor in general. I think dark humor is more funny because I I get that it is more off putting to a lot of people because they are you know some people think they yeah. shouldn't joke about XXXXX or whatever. But like honestly, sure. I think the worst of situ- the, the worst situation it is, the more you have to be able to joke about it and. So a lot of the times I think like, man, I'm really fucked in the head or I'm dark because like I'm finding humor in like the worst of things. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, that, no, no, that tells, you know what that tells me? I've talked about this with my friends and you gotta, you know, look at my background. I, so I dropped out of school when I was 16 in the ninth grade. Uh, and where did I go to start working? I started working at a mortuary. My first job was doing removals. I had a pager and when we got the page, we call into the mortuary. They give us the address, and we go. We got forty bucks a pickup. You know what a pickup is? Picking up dead like bodies. Corpse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would go to houses. We would go to nursing homes. If the medical examiner could rule natural death or cause a death on a crime scene, we would go to a crime scene. We would go to suicides. If a medical examiner can rule cause of death on scene, that body that body doesn't go to the morgue. It go it goes to a mortuary because that person needs a funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I put people in a body bag that just shot themselves in the head on the recliner in their living room. Um, I put people in a body bag that shit themselves all over their bed. You know, uh, I've done it. I've done services for children. I've done a service for a baby whose mother was there in a jumpsuit 
with a San Diego County Sheriff escort because she drowned her child and was on a court release to go to the funeral. I did that shit from 16 to 19. And so I have seen a little bit of darkness. I have seen the absolute. Yeah. My fucking earbuds are going to die when you switch you over. No problem. Sorry. That does make a lot of sense, though, you know, um, where the, you know, the content for, I mean, the, the dark, the dark slash negative lyrics and just, you know, it makes a little, that does kind of paint a little bit of, you know, your background uh, like as to why you might be into heavier, you know, music or why you may be attracted to, certain things too, because you did those things at a very, uh, you know, early age and you were still like becoming yeah. a person, you know? Hey, let me switch over to my speaker. I'm sorry. I'm coming out of the regular one. The phone's kind of tripping because I just came off the headphones. Pardon me. Give me one sec. No, you're all good. We're about to wrap it up anyway. So it doesn't necessarily. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah. No worries. I won't worry about it. Yeah, if you don't have to worry sorry. about it, I won't worry about it. But yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense, and that's cool that you you know you're a writer and whatnot. Um, I find a lot of people that I talk to on here moonlight in that you know in that um, pastime as well, or that that job or whatnot. So it only makes sense. And obviously that that backstory of you being working at the mortuary, I'm sure we can talk about that. We could t- we could probably spend another hour talking about that in general. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll talk about that. I don't have anywhere to be. Well, uh, I do, unfortunately, so I can't, I can't oh, stay that long. Oh, look at you. I got like, big time. I'm big. My I'm, lamb goat. Jesus fir- Christ. Yeah, it won't actually, be the I first time. to do. It won't be the first time you got big time bias, or I'm sure hopefully it won't be the last, you know? But um, no, yeah. That, I hope that, not. I'm glad anonymous comments are back. Yeah, they're back. We, we might be in there. Shit. We yeah, got a lot of shit. We got a lot of shit for that. But they're back, so everyone chill out. But anyway. Um, yeah, so Scott. What are some what are some bands that are like doing deathcore right that have like caught your ear in the last like handful of years here? Uh the Lorna Kids. I love those guys. Right. Um Austin, the guy that runs that band, he's a super cool kid. We talk a lot, we're friends. Um, I like to think I I've been a good uh source of information on how to navigate the biz. You know, it's a tough one. Mm. And I make the joke. The music business is dreamers and schemers. Which one are you? And it kind of comes down to that. It, I, I know it, maybe that's a, a bit, I don't know, a bit harsh, but I kind of, it, it's kind of true. No, and so I'm so true. glad 100%. to see those guys succeed. A fucking viral track. It's amazing. I'm so glad they got that. Um, I'm so glad we kind of confirmed on our tours before that track. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like we got two tours with those money, guys money, coming money, up. Money, money, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so glad those guys are doing great. It's yeah. easy. Um, yeah, put out another one, would you? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm I'm here for it, man. You know, I I like Enterprise Earth. Those guys are really cool. Um, trying to think who else. You know, like, yeah, those bands popping, uh, brand, uh, Slaughter to Prevail. I don't know those people personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done, we did do a tour with Slaughter, but you know, the reality is there's only one member in Slaughter to Prevail, yeah. you know? So the band that we toured with is none of those fucking people that, right. uh, that are, that recorded the songs or that are in the band now for that matter. Like, you know, it's kind of a hired gun deal. You know, think of the band Ghosts. There's a reason they're wearing masks. Right. It's because it's a hired gun. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just a fact. I'm, I'm not taking a shot. It's just is all the guys that we toured with, other than the singer, those ain't those guys ain't in the band. But right. those guys weren't in the band anyway, you right. know. 
Um, so I don't really know those dudes. Uh, I'm glad they're fucking crushing it. I hope they get fucking big and going through a Slipknot and going through a Behemoth. And I hope they change everybody's mind about Deathcore and give, uh, you know, poor old Carnifex a shot. Because, yeah, uh, you, you know, everyone, when we came out, so discouraged from being who we are. Um, so many gatekeepers. Yeah, and oh, yeah, I'm yeah. glad that isn't the case anymore. Yeah, it's definitely not the case anymore. I can shout my love for Limp Bizkit still and not not get too much trash, even though I work for Lamb Goat. Uh, you know, I still hear a little bit of it, but I don't let it get to yeah. me as much as I used to. So, yeah, it's good that gatekeeping is is gone for the most part, and it's good that Deathcore minimized. Is, <laughs> minimized is a good word for it. Yeah, uh, it's good that Deathcore is on the rise. I also see metalcore and just heavy, like whether it's hardcore music or metal. I, I feel like all of that is on the rise at this particular point. So it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to have. It's a good problem to have, but, um, Scott, yeah, man, uh, all the greatest for you and the carny effects guys, your album coming out in, uh, September, you'll be on the road at, at that time with, um, the black Dahlia rivers and Nils, yep. some other people. So, uh, yeah, man. And you've already, you've already had a little taste of the touring life again. I know you were one of the earlier bands mm. to, to do it. So I know you're it's sweet. I know you're aching to get back. So, um, yeah, man, uh, unfortunately you're not coming anywhere near here, but you know, maybe, um, next tour you do, we, you, it will be around here and we can get into more top topics such as like, you know, handling dead bodies and, and such like that on the next time you're on the podcast. Let's do it. I definitely want to get into that. So just FYI, but we don't have time today. But anyway, uh, yeah, Scott, thanks for thanks for jumping on. I know you're doing interviews all day. I'm lucky lucky that we were the last ones. So we had a little longer. And uh, yeah, man, it'll be good to get you back on and when next time you're in the area. Let's do it. Will do, bro. Thank you. All right, brother. Catch you later. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.